Come have a seat in the skull circle and hear the tale of the white trout as told by Casimir. Before we begin our tale, did you know that we release news stories for free every week on Wednesdays? Be certain to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, Podbean, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. That way, you'll never miss out when we release free bonus stories all the days of the week. Never forget, visit thescaldcircle.com to stay up to date with all of our current happenings, and to also visit our story archive, sorted by origin and region. Now then, this begins the tale of the White Trout. The next morning I proceeded alone to the cave to witness the natural curiosity of its subterranean river, my interest in the visit being somewhat increased by the foregoing tale. Leaving my home at the little village of Kong, I bent my way on foot through the fields. If you may venture to give that name to the surface of this immediate district of Country Mayo. If you may venture to give that name to the surface of this immediate district in County Mayo, which presenting large flat muses of limestone, intersected by patches of verdure, gives one the idea much more of a burial ground covered with monumental slabs than a formation of nature. Yet, such is the richness of the pasture and these little verdant interstices, that cattle are fattened on it in a much shorter time than on a meadow of the most cultured aspect. And though to the native of Leinster this land would appear all stones, the Mayo farmer knows it from experience to be a profitable tenure. Sometimes deep clefts occur between these laminae of limestone rock, which, closely overgrown with verdure, have not infrequently occasioned serious accidents to man and beast. And one of these chasms, of larger dimensions than usual, forms the entrance to the celebrated cave in question. Very rude steps of unequal height, partly natural and partly artificial, lead the explorer of its quiet beauty by an abrupt descent to the bottom of the cave, which contains an enlightened area of some thirty or forty feet, whence a naturally vaulted passage opens of the deepest gloom. The depth of the cave may be about equal to its width at the bottom. The mouth is not more than twelve or fifteen feet across, and pendant from its margin clusters of ivy and other Parasite plants bang and cling in all the fantastic variety of natural festooning and tracery. It's a truly beautiful and poetic little spot, and particularly interesting to the stranger from being unlike anything else one has ever seen, and having none of the noisy and vulgar pretense of regular show places, which calls upon you every moment to exclaim prodigious. An elderly and decent-looking woman had just filled her pitcher with this deliciously cold and clear water of the subterranean river that flowed along its bed of smooth and small, many-coloured pebbles. As I arrived at the bottom, and perceiving at once that I was a stranger, she paused, partly perhaps with the pardonable pride of displaying her local knowledge, but more from the native peasant politeness of her county, but more with the native peasant politeness of her country, to become the temporary cicerone of the cave. She spoke some word of Irish, and hurried forth on her errand a very handsome and active boy, of whom she informed me was her great-grandmother. Great-grandmother, I repeated in an unforeign astonishment. Yes, your honor, she answered, with an evident pleasure sparkling in her eyes, which time had not yet deprived of brightness or the soul-subduing influence of this selfish world bereft of her kind-hearted expression. You are the youngest woman I have ever seen, I said I, to be a great-grandmother. Troth, I don't doubt you, sir, she answered, 
And you still seem in good health and likely live many a year yet, said I. With the help of God, sir, she said reverently. But, I added, I perceive a great number of persons about here of extreme age. Now how long generally do people in this country live? Troth, sir, said she with the figurative drollery of our country. We live here as long as we like. Well, that is no inconsiderable privilege, said I. But you, nevertheless, must have married very young. I was not much over sixteen, your honor, when I had my first child at my breast. That was beginning early, said I. True for you, sir, and faith, Noreen, that's my daughter, sir, Noreen herself lost no time either. I suppose she thought she had as good a right as her mother before her. She was married at seventeen, and a likely couple herself and her husband. So you see, sir, it was not long before I was granny. Well, to make the saying good, as old cock crows the young bird chirps, and fikes, the whole bread seed and generation took after the old woman. And so, in the course of time, I was not only a granny, but a great-granny. And by the same token, here comes my darling Pauline Bon, with what I sent him for. Here the fine little fellow I have spoken of, with his fair long hair curling about his shoulders, descended to the cave bearing some great bundle of bogwood, a wisp of straw, and a lighted sod of turf. Now, your honor, it's what you'll see the pigeonhole to advantage. What pigeonhole, said I. Here where we are, she replied. Why is it so called, I inquired. Because, sir, the wild pigeons often build in the bushes and the ivy that's round the mouth of the cave, and in here too, she said, pointing into the gloomy depth of the interior. Blow that turf, Podine. And Podine, with distended cheeks and compressed lips, forthwith poured a few vigorous blasts on that sordid turf, which soon flickered and blazed, while the kind old woman lighted her bundle of sticks at the flame. Now, sir, follow me, said the conductress. I am sorry you have so much trouble on my account, said I. Oh, no trouble in my life, your honor, but the greatest of pleasures. And so saying, she proceeded into the cave, and I followed, carefully choosing my steps by the light of her torchlight along the slippery path of the rock that overhung the river. When she had reached a point of some little elevation, she held up her lighted branches, and waving them to and fro, asked me, could I see the top of the cave? The effect of her figure was very fine, illumined as it was in the midst of the utter darkness by the red glare of her torch. And as she wound them round her head, and shook their flickering sparks about, it required no extraordinary stretch of imagination to suppose her with her ample cloak of dark drapery, and a few straggling tresses of grey hair escaping from the folds of a rather eastern headdress, some sibyl about to commence an awful rite, and evoke her ministering spirits from the dark void or call some water demon from the river, which rushed unseen along, telling of its wild course by the turbulent dash of its waters, which had the reverberation of the cave rendered still more hollow. She shouted aloud, and the cavern echoes answered to her summons. Look, said she and she lighted the wisp of straw and flung it onto the stream. It floated rapidly away, blazing in wild undulations under the perturbed surface of the water, and at length suddenly disappeared altogether. The effect was most picturesque and startling. It was even awful. I might almost say sublime. Her light being nearly expired, we retraced our steps, and emerging from the gloom, stood beside the river, in the enlightened area I have described. Now, sir, said the old woman, we must try and see the white trout.
You've never seen a throat of that color yet, I warrant. I assented the truth of this. They say it's a fairy trout, Your Honor, and tells mighty queer stories about it. What are they? I inquired. Troth, it's myself doesn't know the half of them, only partly. But strive to see it before you go, sir, for there's them that says it isn't lucky to come up to the cave and lave it without seeing the white trout. And if you're a bachelor, sir, and didn't go to peep at it, troth, you'll never be married. And sure of that, I'd be a murder. Oh, said I. I hope the fairies would not be so spiteful. Wish to wish, said she. Looking fearfully around and knitting her brows, she gave me an admonitory look and put her finger on her lip in token silence. And then coming sufficiently near me to make herself audible in a whisper, she said, Never speak ill, your honor, of the good people, they and all, in such a place like this, for it's in the likes they always keep, and one doesn't know who may be listening. God keeps us, but look, sir, look. And she pointed to the stream. There she is. Who? What? said I. The trout, sir. I immediately perceived the fish in question. Perfectly a trout in shape, but in colour a creamy white, headed up the stream and seeming to keep constantly within the region of the enlightened part of it. And there it is, in that spot evermore, continued my guide, and never anywhere else. The poor fish, I suppose, likes to swim in the light, said I. Oh, no, sir, said she, shaking her head significantly. The people here has a mighty old story about that trout. Let me bear it and you will oblige me. Oh, it's only laughing at me you'd be, and call me an old fool as the mistress band in the big house often did afore. When she first came among us, but she knows the differ now. Indeed, I shall not laugh at your story, said I. But on the contrary, shall thank you very much for your tale. Then sit down a minute, sir, said she, throwing her apron upon the rock and pointing to the seat. And I'll tell you to the best of my knowledge. And seating herself on her adjacent patch of verdure, she began her legend. There once upon a time, long ago, a beautiful young lady lived in a castle up by the lake beyond. And they say she was promised to a king's son and they were to be married, when all of a sudden he was murdered, and the crather, Lord help us, and thrown into the lake a bow. And so, of course, he couldn't keep his promise to the fair lady, and more's the pity. Well, the story goes that she went out of her mind because of losing the king's son, for she was tender-hearted. God help her like the rest of us, and pined away after him, until at last no one about had seen her, good or bad and the story went the fairies took her away. Well, sir, in course of time, the white trout, God bless it, was seen in the stream beyond. And sure, the people didn't know what to think of the crater, seeing how a white trout is never seen afore nor since, and years upon the trout was there. Just where you see it this blessed minute, longer nor can I tell you, aye, troth, and beyond the memory of the oldest village. At last the people began to think, it must be a fairy, what else could it be? And no hurt nor harm was ever put at the white trout, until some wicked sinners, a soldiers, came to these parts and laughed at all the people, and gibbed and jeered them for thinking of the likes, and one of them particular, bad luck to him, God forgive me for saying, swore he'd catch the trout and ate it for his dinner, the blackguard. Well, what would you think o' the villainy of the soldier? Sure enough, he caught the trout, and away mid his home, he puts in a frying pan, and into it he pitches the pretty little thing. The trout squealed all as one as a Christian creature, and my dear, you'd think the soldier split his sides laughing, for he was quite the villain. 
and when he thought one side was done, he turns it over to fry the other. And what would you think but the devil a taste of a burn? Was on it all in all. And sure, the soldier thought it was a queer trout that wouldn't be grilled. But, says he, I'll give it another turn, and by and by, little thinking what was in store for him. Well, when he thought that side was done, he turns it again, and lo and behold, the other side was no more done than the other. Bad luck to me, says the soldier, and that baits the world, says he. I'll try you again, my darling, he says, as cunning as you think yourself, and so with that he turns it over and over. But the devil assigned the fire was a purty trout. Well, says the desperate villain, for sure, sir, only he was a desperate villain entirely. He might know he was doing a wrong thing, seeing that all his endeavors were no good. Well, says he, my jolly little trout, maybe you're fried enough, though you don't seem overdressed, but you may well be better than you look, like a singed cat, and a titbit after that, says he. And with that, he ups his knife and forked to taste a piece of the trout. But my jewel, the minute he puts his knife into the fish, there was a murther and screech, and you'd think the life had left you when you heard it, and away drumps the trout out of the frying pan into the middle of the fleur, and the spot where it fell, and up rise a lovely lady, the beautifulest young creature that eyes ever seen, dressed in white, with a band of gold in her hair, and a stream of blood running down her arm. Look where you cut me, you villain, says she, and she held out her arm to him, and my dear, he thought the sight left his eyes. Couldn't you left me cool and comfortable in the river where you snared me and not disturb me in my duty, says she. Well, be thimbled like a dog in a wet sack, at last he stammered out something, and begged for his life, and asked her ladyship pardon, and said he didn't know she was on duty, and he was too good a soldier not to know better, not to meddle with her. I was on duty then, says the lady. I was watching for my true love that is coming by water to me, says she. If he comes while I'm away, and I miss him, I'll turn you into a pinking, and I'll hunt you down forevermore, while the grass grows and weather runs. Well, the soldier thought the life had left him at that, and his thoughts be turned into a pinking and begged for mercy. And with that, says the lady, renounce your evil courses, says she. You villain, or I'll repent it to you late. Be a good man for the further, and go your duty regular. And now, says she, take me back and put me into the river again where you found me. Oh, my lady, says the soldier, how could I have the heart to drown a beautiful lady like yourself? But before he could say another word, the lady vanished. And there he saw the little trout in the ground. Well, he put it in a clean plate, and away he ran for the bare life, for fear her lover would come while she was away, and he run and run, ever till he came to the cave again and threw the trout into the river. The minute he did, the water was red as blood for a little while, and the raisin was the cut. I suppose, until the stream washed the stain away, and to this day, there's a little red mark on the trout's side where it was cut. Well, sir, from that day out, the soldier was an altered man, and reformed his way, and went to his regular duty, and fasted three times a week. Though, it was never fish he took a fasting days, for after the frights he got, fish never rest in his stomach. God bless us save in your presence. But anyhow, he was an altered man, as I said before. In the course of time, he left the army, and turned hermit at last, and they say he used to pray evermore for the soul of the white trout. And that is the tale of the white trout. Thank you for listening to our story. If you enjoyed it, please take a look at our Patreon page to learn how you can earn great rewards while also supporting us. 
We appreciate even the smallest contributions, as they allow us to continue to release new stories every week for free on Wednesdays, and also to provide bonus stories for your listening pleasure. We also want to give a special thank you to Kat for their support this month. It means the world to us. Visit us at thescaldcircle.com to view our story archive, sorted by origin and region, and to stay up to date with all of our current developments. Once again, thank you for listening to our story.